love to tell the story of unseen things above. Three B N Australia Radio would like to welcome you to Songs of Praise. Of Jesus and His love, I love to tell the story because I know it's true. It satisfies my longings as nothing else can do. I love. To tell the story, twill be my theme in glory. To tell the old old story of Jesus and His love. I love to tell the story for those who know. Seem hungering and thirsting to hear it like the rest, and when in scenes of glory I sing the new new song, twill be the old old story that I have loved so long. I love to tell the story. Twill be my theme in glory to tell the old old story of Jesus and His love. To tell.
God saw us lost He looked at you and me Then He looked at the cross Oh, the price of sacrifice It would take who would pay Who would go Then Jesus stepped out from His throne And He down my life and go to Calvary. I'll go through hell for three days and come back with the King. Cause I Stay tuned to 3ABN Australia Radio for more inspirational music.
of one whose loving heart can fill my deepest woe, who in its sorrow bears a part that none can bear below. This is Songs of Praise, a message in music to draw you closer to God.
Jesus and his love I love to tell the story For those who know it best Seem hungering and thirsting To hear it like the rest And when in scenes of glory I sing the new, new song T'will be the old, old story That I have loved so long I love to tell the story T'will be my theme in glory To tell the old, old story Of Jesus and His love To tell the old, old story Of Jesus and His love There is coming a day When no heartache shall come No more clouds in the sky No more tears to dim the eye All is peace forevermore On that happy golden shore What a day, glorious day that will be What a day that will be When my Jesus I shall see And I look upon his face The one who saved me by his grace When he takes me by the hand And leads me through the promised land What a day, glorious day that will be There'll be no sorrow there No more burdens to bear No more sickness, no pain No more parting over there And forever I will be With the one who died for me What a day, glorious day that will be What a day that will be When my Jesus I shall see And I look upon his face The one who saved me by his grace When he takes me by the hand And leads me through the promised land What a day, glorious day that will be What a day, glorious day that will be While I live, I will praise the Lord. I will sing praises to my God as long as I exist. Psalm 146, verse 2. 
cage Set the sound and lights ablaze If that's the measure that it takes To crush the idols Jerk the pews and all the decorations too Until the congregation's few And has revival Until 
forward to your company next time on Songs of Praise. Bye for now and may God bless you. Today in 3ABN Australia Radio's book reading, we're continuing I Saw God's Hand by the late missionary pastor Elwyn Martin. Much of the book is set in Papua New Guinea and is broadcast with the kind permission of Amazing Facts. In our last episode, we were introduced to a very savage tribe of pygmies living in Western Papua. They were a tribe who killed for the sake of killing. They were known as the Cookers. The more people a tribesman killed, the better man he was, and the more eligible a young man was to be a good husband. We resume our chapter with Pastor Martin making his first visit to the Cookers. Some miles up the Avori River, we noticed a clearing where trees had very recently been felled. Such a clearing is a sure indication that a garden is being planted. They fell the heavy bush jungle, and among the felled trees, they plant their gardens. Gradually, the bush dies down, and their garden produce finds its way through. 
I asked the men to drop anchor so we could go ashore. In unison they tried to assure me that they knew there was no cooker-cookers here. Needless to say, they did not know because neither they nor I had been there before. My orders were to stop, drop anchor and lower the dinghy. Never before had I seen such an energetic crew. They decided that they must stay on the boat to wash down the decks, polish up the engine and in general have a spring cleaning. Pastor Paul and I rowed in the dinghy to the riverbank. He was a true soldier of the cross and was always ready for adventure. I only knew one word of the Kukukuka language. The word was Mirakwi, which means come. Stepping from the dinghy and climbing up the riverbank, I called Mirakwi, Mirakwi, until I was almost hoarse. But Mirakwi they didn't. I began to wonder whether the boys were right in saying that there were no cooker-cookers there. Calling out Meraki once more, we were surprised to see a young warrior walk out along a fallen tree that had come to rest some ten or twelve feet above the ground. He had his arrow aimed directly at us. We were amazed when he answered in the Matuan language, What do you want? We are friends. We have come to heal your sick and show you a new way of life. You are not our friends, you are our enemies. You have come to arrest us for our killings. It happened that some two years before, a government patrol had passed through a portion of the Kukukuka country and had actually walked in on a head-hunting raid by the Kukukukas. The police arrested all the headhunters they could lay hands on and took them back to the government station on the coast and imprisoned them. I had difficulty in convincing the young warrior that we were friends and that we had come to help them. But when I at last got it across to him, he called out Miraqui, and his comrades came from everywhere. How did this young man know the Matuan language? Apparently as a small boy, he had been taken out to the coast where he had been sold for a large bush knife. The cooker-cookers, being inland people, are hungry for steel and will sell a small child for an axe or a knife. This young man had grown up among Matuan-speaking people, but upon reaching manhood, he had run away one night when he learned that some of his people had come down from the mountains to sell a girl for an axe. He rejoined his people and found his way back to their mountain retreat but had to learn his own language again. The young warrior became my able interpreter. Matuan was actually his mother tongue. Pastor Paul and I ministered to the people's many medical needs. While I treated some shocking cases of yaws and ulcers and extracted some teeth, Pastor Paul showed them pictures from an old picture roll. At last, when all their medical needs were met, we asked them to sit on the ground. I told as simply as I could the story of Calvary. While I was talking, Pastor Paul found pictures to illustrate the work of the great physician. The old chief, a man covered with pig's grease, kept jumping to his feet and talking excitedly to his people. 
He would then sit down for a few minutes while my interpreter and I continued the story. Again and again, the chief interrupted us. When I felt that we had preached more than they could possibly absorb, I told them that we would have to bid them farewell. The old chief came over and hugged me until my white clothes were almost his colour and told me that I would not be saying farewell because I was now their chief. This was the highest possible honour that they could bestow upon me. Fearful of the consequences, I declined by saying that many days away my wife and children were waiting for the day when I would come home again. There seemed to be quite a bit of excitement, but I was absorbed in talking to the chief through my interpreter. The chief then impatiently took my arm and said, Take your pick of that lot. He had a line of women of all ages stretching almost down to the riverbank. Knowing that it would require great care to handle this situation, I told him that I would not know which one to choose. He replied, It need not be one. You can have as many as you like. This was the second highest honour that they could bestow upon me. I tried to explain that I could not be their chief and that I could not take any of their women for a wife. Immediately the air was tense with excitement. Savage, writhing tribesmen tipping their arrows in their own blood, the last act before they take life. One has to think quickly, or he may not have the chance to think again. I spoke just one word, and that was the name of Jesus, a name that they had never heard before that day. Immediately the warriors laid down their bows, arrows and spears side by side on the ground, a sign among primitive people that they want to make peace. What power there is in that name, power that even you and I know little about. The laying down of their weapons gave me an opportunity to explain my reasons for not becoming their chief and why I could not accept a wife from among their people. Finally, I promised that I would return. The old chief asked, How do we know that your promise is true? I said, My promise is true. I will return. I will come again. All right then, we will give you a gift. Apparently this was their way of sealing a contract. I knew from past experience the time it can take native people to give a gift. It generally means a trek to their gardens to bring back pineapples, a bunch of bananas or other garden produce. I was eager to get my boat into sheltered waters because a storm was looming over the Owen Stanley Range. I tried to explain that I would not be able to accept their gift but gave the promise again that I would return. The old chief shook his head and said, if you will not take our gift, then you are a man belong gammon, a man who is untruthful. Again the air was tense with excitement, for I had added insult to injury by refusing the two highest honours they could bestow upon me, and now had refused their gift. Again I saw spears and arrows being tipped with the cooker-cooker's blood, and again I spoke the name of Jesus. Immediately they laid down their weapons aside to make peace. 
I told them that I would take their gift, but I did urge them to be as quick as possible because the storm could burst any minute. Pastor Paul and I returned to the boat, but were somewhat concerned to hear a lot of wailing among the people that we had left. Going back to the riverbank, I called out to my interpreter that if their gift wasn't given willingly, then I would have nothing to do with it. His reply was, It's all right, Master. We are bringing our gift now. You could never guess what the gift was. Two little boys, one about seven and the other about nine years of age. The last two with royal blood flowing through their veins. The old chief made a flowery speech. Tears ran down his dirty old face. My interpreter told me that the chief was telling the boys that he was no longer their chief, that they were to render to me the same explicit obedience as they had to him. I was perplexed because I could not speak their language, nor could they speak mine. However, I could not afford any further insults. Thus I thanked the old chief profusely and sailed away with my two little boys. We had scarcely started downstream when the roar of the storm could be heard as torrents of water poured down onto mountains close by. This seemed to me to be an apt illustration of the devil's wrath against us for having trespassed on his enchanted ground. We were barely out of the Avori River when whole trees came washing down and out into the Valhalla. The crew adopted the little boys wholeheartedly, and in a matter of days they had them talking reasonably well in the Matuan language. They would get a cup of water when they knew the little fellows were thirsty and offer it to them, saying, Ranu, the Matuan word for water. When the boys reached out to take the water, it would be withdrawn and the words Ranu, Ranu repeated. When the boys tried to say Ranu, the water was handed to them. The same thing was done with food. And with ours, they knew how to ask for food or water. The whole story was nothing sort of an amazing answer to prayer. We had been led to perhaps the only man among the thousands of cooker-cookers who could speak the language in which we worked. Arriving at our mission station some days later, I announced to my wife and children that we had two additions to the family. After all, this was one way of evening the score a little with my wife, because she had often greeted me with the same words when I had been away. The only difference was my children were a little older than the ones she had saved from death's door. The little cooker-cookers, we called them Caleb and Joshua, from the promised land, became an integral part of our household. Chapter 13. Tarama Cannibals Keep Their Word Haru Hariva was one of the most unforgettable characters I have ever met. As one of our earliest converts in Western Papua, he gave his young life to the Master and to his service. After a few years in our mission schools, he entered our old Miragheta training school near Port Moresby, where his brilliance and consecration soon carried him to the apex.
To crown his success, he linked his life with a young woman named Kaurara Muku. She was one of the most talented, consecrated and outstanding Christian women I have ever known. Haru gave his whole life to mission service. He proved to be an outstanding teacher in many of our schools, but his burden was always for evangelism. During the 15 years that I was associated with this champion of the cross, I found him to be without parallel in opening up new work. Many times I have sailed away, leaving him behind among savage people. Cannibalism and headhunting vanished under the impact of Haru's preaching. Both he and I have known how hard it is to conduct a mission service in villages where we could breathe the pungent atmosphere of human flesh being cooked in the bamboo cooking tubes. To be continued. Tune in again next week for the next episode of I Saw God's Hand, written by Elwyn Martin and read by Alan Lindsay. William Ackland as he shares a psalm from his paraphrase of the Bible called The Gift. Psalm 93 has the thought in its words, the Lord reigns eternally. The Lord is king of the universe. He is clothed with the garments of majesty. Absolute strength is his girdle. He has placed the world where it is so that it cannot be moved. Your throne was established in the far reaches of eternity. You are from the past that had no beginning. The floods have surged high, O Lord. The waters have raised their voice. The pounding waves crash upon the shore, but the Lord is far stronger than the noise of the angry sea, than the waves that rage in the mighty storm. Your commandments shall stand firm forever. Holiness is in the very atmosphere of heaven. O Lord, our everlasting God.